Hello and welcome to this new episode of BGMO Oncotalks. On this occasion, Professor Mark Peters, head of the oncology department at the Antwerp University Hospital, will talk us through the current standard of care for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer, after which he will also share his views on how this treatment paradigm might change in years to come. Welcome, Professor Peters, and thank you very much for your time. In order to set the scene, could you first talk us through the basic principle of the continuum of care for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer? Over the years, the strategy to treat patients with metastatic colorectal cancer changed dramatically, not only because we have more uh, systemic options available, but also the multidisciplinary approach and the fact that we, at every time during the course of the disease, evaluate what is the best strategy is having an impact on the outcome of these patients. It's an integration of different systemic options based on profiling of the tumor, uh, performance status of the patients, but also integrating surgery and sometimes even radiation therapy. And within this context, what is the current standard of care for newly diagnosed patients with metastatic colorectal cancer in Belgium? So um, in the majority of patients, we do um, uh, profiling based on RASB, RAF, and sometimes MSI status. Based on that and also the location of the primary tumor, we will decide whether the patient have a resectable metastasis, yes or no. If this is not the case, at that uh, moment, we decide to go for systemic te uh, therapy. Mostly um, chemotherapy is still the base, um, either full FOX, full free, and sometimes we use monotherapy with capsaicin. Um, and adding on top of that, and based on the molecular profiling, we go for an anti-GFR treatment or um, a treatment with anti-VGF, such as bevacizumab. In recent years, several effective treatment options have become available for patients with disease progression after their first or second line treatments. How do you address these patients in your current practice? So what we have seen um, over the years that also uh, third and fourth line treatment is becoming more and more important because patients are in better performance stages after first and second line treatment. Uh, we mostly use um, oral drugs in this setting. You have uh, rigorafenib targeting as a small molecule, the VGF pathway. You have uh, uh, trifluoridine tiparacil, which is more a chemotherapeutic agent. And in patients with ras wild type uh, tumors, sometimes we um, use anti-GFR treatment either as the first time, or in some cases, we do a reintroduction of these um, therapies uh, based on the molecular profiling of the tumors. So um, the majority of patients nowadays go from second line to third line and even to fourth line uh, treatment. Are there any prognostic biomarkers that can help physicians when deciding the optimal third or fourth line treatment options for an individual patient? Um, it's difficult to make a determination um, on the prognosis, but um, like I said, there are some patient uh, characteristics, for example, the performance status, uh, comorbidity, uh, medication use, 
Otherwise, you have also uh, the molecular profiling. Um, if you have a patient um, which is uh, having a tumor with a BRF muted tumor, first of all, the chance that he goes to third or fourth line um, is lower than in the majority of patients. But at the moment that they are going to the third line, you know that the prognosis is uh, less good than um, patients having a tumor with BRAF wild-type tumors. Also, the location plays a role, not only in first or second line. We know that if a patient has a tumor located, the primary tumor located on the right side, the prognosis is worse than a tumor located on the left side. In the recourse trial evaluating trifluoridine tipiracil in patients with refractory metastatic colorectal cancer, a better result was obtained in patients with better prognostic factors, such as patients with lower tumor burden, as well as patients without liver involvement, just to name a few. How do you interpret this data? I think it is in general so if you have a patient with uh, limited disease, for example, if you have a patient with limited number of uh, lung metastasis, um, this patient is doing better than one with peritoneal disease. Also, the location of metastasis is playing a role in not only the impact of your therapy, but also the overall prognosis for the patient. Um, for example, if you look to the laboratory values, if you look to LDH, we know that patients with high LDH levels um, are mostly doing uh, worse than the ones with lower LDH levels. So there are some disease characteristics that for sure have an impact not only on the treatment options that you have, but also on the outcome in general. I think it's a combination of factors that you need to take uh, into account whether do you decide uh, to go for a third or a fourth line uh, treatment, and second, which type of choice that you make in a given patient. Um, also, the compliance of the patient is, is important. Uh, some patients um, are really happy to get oral drugs. Uh, others are better off with intravenous therapy. So also that discussion you need to have with your patient and the family. Both regorafenib and trifluoridine tipiracil are currently used as monotherapy in the third-line setting. However, several studies are also looking into the potential of combination strategies with these agents. For example, trifluoridine tipiracil bevacizumab, as well as regorafenib nivolumab. How do these combinations perform in these clinical trials? Um, I think it's... it's um better first to focus on, on uh, the results that we have seen in, in, in later line uh, setting, um, because um, this combination had um, sometimes impressive results, not only on uh, PFS, but also on uh, response, even if the patient was treated uh, before with several lines of therapy. For example, if you look to the uh, data of the TASCO-1, um, where you have an impact on the progression-free survival. Um, um, these were patients treated um, with uh, um, trifluoridine tipiracil in combination with bevacizumab uh, with previously untreated metastatic uh, colorectal cancer, um, comparing with the standard with uh, capecitabine and uh, bevacizumab, although it was not a comparative study. Um, this is totally different from what we have seen in later line setting, where you also have adding 
um, by adding another drug, you have an impact on the outcome of these patients. For example, if you see what happened with the Rego-Nivo combination, um, this showed um, very nice results. Although we have to say this is in a specific population of Asian patients. And the second important um, point is that it's still early to make the final statement because these data have to be confirmed by uh, follow-up studies which are going on for the moment. So um, combinations are good, uh, combinations are necessary to obtain a better outcome, not only in the early line setting, but also in the later line um, setting. Second, um, it's also important to determine in which type of patient you want to use a given combination. For example, going back to the um, TUSCA1 trial, where you see um, that the patient populations that uh, get um, an oral drug like um, trifluoridin-tiperacil in combination with bevacizumab is mostly a selected population because the majority of patients will have a more intensive therapy to try to have a response and to have an, an impact on the outcome of these patients. So it's good to see new results. Sometimes we need confirmation by larger trials in more broader uh, population, like I already said with the Rego Nivo data. Um, and a second important point, it's uh, clearly with all the options that we have, you need to uh, clearly position these new combinations within the continuing of care of our patients with uh, metastatic colorectal cancer. But it's good to see that um, these options are um, increasing for our patients. You already mentioned the improved progression-free survival obtained with the trifluoridine tiparacil bevacizumab combination in the Tesco-1 trial. Could you also elaborate a bit on the safety and quality of life data that was reported in this trial? Also there, um, you have seen that um, the quality of life and safety uh, was uh, um, good with this combination. So this is not an issue. And um, this, uh, again, in, although it was not compared with intravenous uh, therapy, and um, we have to make the statement that this was a non-comparative um, trial. So we have to be very careful, but overall the quality of life um, in this setting and also the safety profile was very good and acceptable uh, for the patient. And um, uh, there was a possibility to have an um, adaptation if it was necessary to have a good tolerance translating in a good quality of life. Now then, what could be the potential benefit of these chemotherapy-free regimens for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer? Um, I, don't, I don't think these are chemotherapy-free um, uh, regimens. These are uh, modified chemotherapeutic regimens. You have, first of all, um, the association with bevacizumab, which is a standard in most of the countries, uh, especially in the mutated uh, tumors. Second, um, you have a combination with an oral drug, which make, um, in the majority of patients, much more easy um, to... Um, to have access to these drugs. And a third important point is that um, the regimens that were designed with this combination are adapted on the needs of the patients. And this is also important. On the flip side, 
I think it's important to stress that every combination has some side effect, might have an impact with the quality of life of these patients. So you need an interactive model, model with your patients to um, give them advice if some side effects occur and trying to um, avoid, um, let's say, hospitalization due to side effects. So the interaction with uh, your patients is absolutely needed even if they are coming uh, less to the day hospital. Very recently, interesting results were presented with the trifluridine tiparacil bevacizumab combination in the third-line setting. Could you talk us through the key messages of these trials? Yes, I, I think um, what we have seen um, in the study that was um, uh, published in uh, this year, 2020, by uh, Perfefe's uh, group, in Lancet Oncology, that patients um, uh, with the combination um, in chemorefractory metastatic colorectal cancer, this was an open-label randomized phase two trial um, where the monotherapy was uh, compared with uh, bevacizumab. So what we have seen in that study is that if you can have a combination with um, trifluoridintiracil plus uh, bevacizumab comparing with the monotherapy, that you have a synergistic effect between both drugs, even knowing that these patients were heavily pretreated and some of them already had bevacizumab in um, earlier lines. So this gives another option to um, treat these patients, um, even in later lines with combinations that uh, for the moment are uh, not used in that setting. So um, like we started the discussion, the continuing of care is increasing because we have newer drugs, newer combinations that um, having an impact not only in front line, not only in second line, but also in third, fourth, and even in fifth line setting. One of the problems that we are facing, these are interesting data, but of course, you know that, for example, in Belgium, you have a strict regulation on uh, reimbursement. So we have to see whether this is uh, can be implemented in our daily care based on the reimbursement um, uh, rules that we have currently for metastatic colorectal cancer. And how about toxicity? Did the combination prove to be tolerable in this setting? Um, overall, the, the toxicity was in line what you could expect, but generally there were no major uh, problems. What was seen in the group uh, treated with bevacizumab that there was somewhat more um, neutropenia. Um, for the rest, no major issues. Of course, you have the side effects related to the bevacizumab, for example, hypertension, but generally it was uh, tolerated and especially like we already discussed, if you have um, good impact and guiding your patients concerning possible side effects. Overall, this um, is um, tolerable for the patient and also um, adjustments can be made by the physician if necessary. For the moment, several molecular agents are being evaluated in the treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer. Which oncogenic driver mutations are currently being targeted in this setting? For the moment, um, it's still work in progress for colorectal cancer. If you look, if you compare it with lung cancer, uh, a lot of progress has been made over the years um, with really um, 
targeted therapy and an enormous impact on the outcome of the patients. Um, what we are currently doing in colorectal cancer is, of course, doing the RAS analysis, uh, BRAF, uh, MSI status. Um, there are also interesting data um, shown by the Italian group on um, HER2 positive um, colorectal cancer with the impact of um, targeted therapy on the outcome of these patients. And um, in some patients, you find uh, not frequent um, alterations. For example, anterior cave fusions is also seen in a small fraction of uh, patients where you might have an impact with the newer drugs um, if they have this type of profile. Um, interesting, for example, also um, with in the scene of uh, ROS, we have seen new molecules uh, which target specific um, um, uh, mutations, um, where in the future, for example, um, one of the drugs of Amgen, which is uh, focusing on the G12C uh, mutation, this is an oral drug, new in class, and this might more precisely have an impact. But again, this is a very small group of our population that have a possible benefit. So it's work in progress. We have already some mutations that are really having an impact, not only on the prognosis, but also on uh, the prediction of therapy. And uh, what we have seen uh, the latest years, that more and more drugs are um, developed more precisely, not only for colorectal cancer, but there is an overlapping activity with other uh, tumor types. To what extent are patients screened for these mutations on a routine basis? So RAS and BRAF and MSI and HER2 are mostly st becoming standards, uh, although, for example, for MSI, we don't have um, uh, routine immune therapy um, available but some of these patients can uh, join some studies that are open in uh, Belgium centers. Um, for the others, mostly this is done at the moment that you don't have other options available for these patients. And then we are searching for these uh, more um, precise mutations, which are less frequent, not only mutation, but alterations that found in these tumors to give them the possibility to join some um, early phase studies that are open in uh, some of the Belgium centers. To date, which targeted agents have yielded the most spectacular results in patients with colorectal cancer, in your opinion? Yeah, I, th I think if we uh, look to the data that not only in later line, but also now um, at recent meetings uh, were generated in, um, in first line in the MSI high patient population uh, with metastatic colorectal cancer. Yes, these are really interesting um, data. And unfortunately, uh, we don't have these drugs available to treat our patients in Belgium. Uh, not only the um, uh, response and the impact on progression-free survival are um, uh, significant, but also the tolerance is very good. And this, in that specific population, might have um, a clear impact on the change of algorithm that we are using. But we have to wait for um, reimbursement in Belgium before can, we can give this option to our patients. Finally, to wrap up, how did you personally experience the changes in the treatment paradigm of colorectal cancer patients over the last decade? Um, 
I, I think for me, um, uh, treating these patients for several years now, um, seeing what happened um, over 20 years time, it's clear that um, treating patients with metastatic colorectal cancer is becoming much more complex than before. And we really need to try to integrate all the options that we have available, not only the systemic treatment, which has an increasing numbers of drugs that we have available in different settings, and uh, but also other options like radioembolization, like radiotherapy, like surgery. Um, even in later stage, these um, different options might have a benefit for our patients and have an impact on the overall prognosis, which in the majority of patients is now over two or three years uh, median overall survival, which is clearly significant, uh, a clearly significant increase if you compare it with, um, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago. Professor Peters, thank you very much for your time, and I'm sure that our listeners have enjoyed it. <laughs>